0: Okay, well, this morning I'm going to read and, uh, about the, the compassion of Christ and really what that means and how it, it can flow in a very beautiful and proper way to us, Him being our very life. So that's the first time that it's mentioned is in Matthew 9, verse 36, and then again in Matthew 14, 14. And then again in matthew 15 32 and then again in matthew 18 verse 27 and in matthew 20 34 and there are other places too and i have those scriptures uh, later if you would like them but the one that i want to really key on and you can read the others and and you can see uh, god's thought on that as christ is actually You see God and his humanity in Christ. And it says here, in verse 36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted. They fainted. And basically, they fainted. They were were quitting. They were giving up. Uh, Basically, that's what that word faint means. And then as a result of them fainting, they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And that's why we need constant, uh, we have a shepherd in John 10, verse 11 and 14. He's the good shepherd. In Hebrews thirteen twenty, we have a great shepherd. He's great. And in his greatness in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, he's the chief shepherd. He is our shepherd. And that's why in Ecclesiastes 12 verses 9 through 11, he is the shepherd. There are many words that proceed from under shepherds, but they truly, if they're true of him, they they come from the one shepherd that we all have. And we need a shepherd because if we don't have a shepherd and we don't experience who he is in our life and we don't experience his thoughts, do we have proper emotions? And so because of that, when we don't experience the fact that we, that we do have a good shepherd, what's that mean? All our good is in, comes from him. right? Because in our flesh dwells what? No good thing in Romans 7, 18 and John 6, 63. But boy, do we have him. And he is great. And when we function in him as a result of his thoughts. And we have these great emotions, because the first thought of God, what is God's first thought when we think about it? Well, it's love. God is love. And then immediately when we, func- when we function and experience that love, that first thought, we have joy. In Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, and we begin to partake of the fruit life that Christ is because in John 15 1 through 5 he, he's he's the vine where the branches we need to be constantly uh, receiving the life that comes from the vine into the branches and when it does it produces the fruit of the very vine and then that comes from having proper thoughts and then we have proper emotions but if we don't, if we, if we lose him, forget him in our experience, what's the first? We begin to faint. What does it mean to faint? don't have any strength. There's no grace uh, being applied in our experience. And as a result, we faint because we don't have strength. And we live in a weakened state. Again, weakness is not sin. Hebrews 12, verse 1 brings that out clearly. Weakness is not sin. But when it doesn't receive, when you and I don't receive the life that's ours in Christ, his thoughts, and, and experience them, what happens? It leads to what? The sin that often and constantly entangles us. And what would entangle us if it's not his thoughts, giving us good emotions? It would be thoughts that are not his, and as a result, the bad emotions. So they fainted, and when they fainted, when they were weak, they could only, and when they didn't have God's full thought, and that's Christ, when they didn't, what happened? They began to be scattered abroad in their own thinking. They began to be scattered abroad, and that's the enemy, scattering us in our own thinking getting us further and further away from experiencing the reality of Christ in us. And he's in us. So it says because they were fainted, they were scattered everywhere. Their mind, their thoughts were everywhere. (laughs) And then as a result, their emotions were everywhere. Their, Their emotions were everywhere. Why? Because they had no shepherd they were sheep without a shepherd so they didn't they didn't experience the very compassion of God through Christ who is their life now in this word here when it says compassion that word compassion is quite a word in the Greek and it is quite a word (laughs) I'm gonna spell it for you because it's quite an interesting word And I've heard, over my years, so many Greek scholars tell you how to pronounce this word. And you know what? I don't think any of them agree with each other. But the important thing is, is that word is spelt S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And it comes from, it comes from that Greek word, Splanchna. Splanchna. S-P-L-A-N-C-H-N-A. And this is what this means. It, it literally means to have the bowels yearn. Now, bowels, we know, whatever goes in, what? Comes out. So, bowels here is a metonym for when we take in certain thoughts, what are we going to give out? right? If we have good fruit, if we, if we partake of a good tree, what kind of fruit do we have? Now we're in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 to 20. If we take in God's thoughts, fruitful thoughts, remember in John 15, 1 to 5, he's the vine we're the branches, right? And when that life is flowing through the branches, we produce the fruit of the vine. We're not trying to find good. We're not trying to seek our own good because we know that there's no good. Just like for the believer, there's no good in the world. We're in it, but not of it. There's nothing here that will satisfy us. And so the bowels, you take it in, you, you take it out. But the bowels speaks of what? Being moved as to one's inward. Inward thoughts. And really, it speaks of an inward affection. So God's thought. In Christ, when he saw the multitudes fainting, they were without strength. They were very weak, and it was leading to all kinds of sins because they were scattered abroad in their thoughts from the enemy. Because we know that in 2 Corinthians ten, four, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And when they are, what do we do? When it's, when it's about us, what do we come up with? What do we do? We faint. Faint, really, in Luke 18, 1, men should always pray and not faint, not give up, not quit. What are our thoughts and our emotions always cause us to do? What do they lead to? We quit. This isn't working. This, The thing doesn't work. The, the, where I live is not working. The job's not working. The people I'm around are not working. The situation's not working. The circumstances are not working. And when I don't have God's thoughts, what do I seek? I seek change but what is directing the change. I'm fainting, and I'm scattered in my thinking. Do you know that God only has one thought? And many thoughts proceed from that one thought, but he only has one thought, that's the Son son of God, the Word. That is God's full thought towards us. And when we take him in, boy, what we take in produces incredible fruit and health. And that's a fact of the scriptures. So it was an inward affection, and it really speaks of Christ. He had, his, he had this tender, compassionate yearning and mercy towards these people, right? And God is always towards us with his compassion, but will he force it on us? If he did, would it be unconditional love? It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be unconditional love. So, but this is the depth of his very being was a heartfelt mercy towards those that were fainting as a result of their own thoughts and emotions, and it scattered them abroad. Their mind with their thoughts were all over the place. And... When we try to think two things at the same time, when we try to think of God and then we we're functioning in the flesh, what does that equal? It equals confusion. Because God in 1 Corinthians 14.33 is not the God of confusion. He only has one thought. When I mix my flesh, fleshly thoughts with God's thoughts, what does it equal? Confusion. And so God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Life. How many lives does the believer have? How many heads does the believer have? There's only one. There's only one. And so it means that it's this heartfelt mercy. And what it describes here is the attitude of Jesus. You know, you can say to a person, boy, that person, what a bad attitude. Why did they have a bad attitude? What gives you and I a bad attitude? Isn't it bad thoughts? And doesn't it result in bad emotions? And then we use that to define who we are. Well, that's what the enemy would have us to do. But thank God in 1 John 1 9, we can confess them. We can confess who Christ is and who we're not. And then, again, he brings us right back to a beautiful place of grace where we can continue to grow in 2 Peter 3.18 because he must increase. He loves us so deeply. He's so compassionate towards us, even when we faint and we quit on him, he never quits. He's always in Isaiah 30, verse 18, waiting to be gracious, to, gracious, to grace us out with his loving compassion and his tender mercies towards us, never condemning us, never requiring, but always giving, always giving. And so it des- describes the attitude of Jesus And it characterizes his very divine nature. What is my nature? Who am I? Well, who am I in 1 John 1, 7? Walk in the light as he's in the light. And you'll have fellowship one with another. One with another. You'll have that. And you'll experience what that blood, that finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, what it did for you for all eternity, now in time, because we have eternal life right now in time in 1 John five eleven, That's why everything about us is not, it doesn't have to do with time. But if I'm not functioning in eternity in time, is it a waste? Does it equal, it equals nothing. So this de- describes the very character and divine nature, not only of who he is, but all his actions. What defines who we are in all of our actions? Isn't it supposed to be our character? Yeah. It's a character. So here, here, what it's doing here is this. What are good emotions, good thoughts and good emotions? It's an attribute of God's divine dealings towards us. That's how he is towards us. And so Jesus' human emotions, and that's what's being described here in all those scriptures with, with many others that, that we didn't get, that we didn't get. And the many others are Mark 1.41, Mark 6.34, Mark 8.2, Mark 9.22, Luke 7.13, Luke 10.33, and Luke 15.20. When you read those, and when you see the action of the loving tender mercy and compassionate of Christ towards individuals right where they were functioning, did they need the change? No, they just had to submit their will. And boy, the change would be caused instantly in their experience. Just like us, when we give our wills over, we could have had the worst night, the worst day, the worst ride, doesn't matter. Instantly we submit, our, we submit ourselves I Submit our will, and that is James 4:8. we draw nigh to him. Instantly he draws nigh to us. Then he cleanses the hands, the confusion, the bad thoughts, the bad emotions. He cleanses our hands, and he purifies our hearts from being double-minded, and that means areas of being scattered abroad and being confused as a result. We begin to lose focus of our true image based upon bad thoughts and bad emotions, but God is always waiting to but be gracious to us. He doesn't give us grace to live in sin, but it certainly is the only answer to get out of it, and that's what makes it necessary for you and I to submit our wills to him. And uh, it's the safest and most incredible thing that we have the privilege to be able to do. So again, Jesus' human emotions here are described in the strongest terms. Listen to this. In order. All God's thoughts revealed through Christ. All his thoughts and all his emotions were a specific order. Because how does God do things? In 1 Corinthians 14, 40, God does what? All things, what? Decently, transparently in the light. And in a specific order. And that God's one thought is God's one order. And that towards us is Christ. We see it crystal clear here as it's brought out in these scriptures. Especially with these words in the original Koine Greek. So again, these human emotions of Jesus are brought out in the strongest terms. In order to bring out what? The totality of mercy. I mean, when we come to Him, when we come to Him, say we have dirty hands and we're double-minded, scattered all over the place. Nothing seems to make any sense what does to the flesh. I mean, even, even the flesh considers God's Word to be what? Nonsense. Why? Because the natural man in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, receives what? Not the things... Of the Spirit of God, the things that are of Christ. Why? Because to him in the flesh, they're what? They're foolish. It doesn't make any sense. Neither can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned, meaning there's not a submission of the will in a believer. So he just functions just like the world. But yet the whole time, what is God's position? What is Christ doing? in romans chapter 8 verse 34 in hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 and in hebrews 9 verse 24 he's ever living to make intercession for us oh god with the strongest terms the strongest desire and attitude of compassion no guilt he doesn't treat us after our guilt he doesn't he just wants it removed because he so deeply loves us And so, again, it brings out the totality of mercy. Now, when you look all through the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are synoptic, the three synoptics, and then you have John. When you look at those Gospels, you're going to see how people functioned, what the the lowest person and the highest religious person were in his presence. You know what it brought out? It brought out the depth of the attitude of his mind through his emotions toward them. And in one case, they were very compassionate. The other case, toward the religious crowd, you read Matthew 23. When you read that in the tenses, the cases, the moods, oh my God, you're going to see what he felt. It brought out wrath. That's what what it brings out. Is there any wrath for us? Is there? In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, is there any wrath towards, from God towards us? Never. Just loving, compassionate chastisement and correction because Christ took all of that on the cross. He dealt with the wrath that you and I deserved. That's brought out in John chapter 3 and verse 36. It's just incredible when we see that. So that's what those emotions brought out, the attitude of his thinking in his mind. compassion or wrath, wrath. and towards us, thank God has been dealt with. So we know how to think God, and we know how we can even approach Him in our weakest moments, or even when we confess those sins in First John one nine. We're not approaching a judge operating and can't wait to get us in his presence to have wrath. No, it's compassion. So here, what, what we see, Jesus right here, in this, in this particular case, in these kingdom teachings, okay, it was kingdom. And remember the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is everywhere present. Throughout all eternity, he inhabits it in Isaiah 57, verse 15. That's God's, that's God's government, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of heaven? In Matthew 6, 10, he told his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That won't happen till Christ comes back and we come back with him in Revelations, the 19th chapter. And then he deals with, with Satan, with the beast, the false prophet, finally deals with, with, with Satan, and then he sets up his kingdom, millennial reign for the Jews, while we, who are married to Christ, who's their Messiah, we rule and reign with him over them. Just to give you an idea of our position in Christ is incredible. And boy, if we don't know it, can we function in it? We don't know God's full thought then what are we left up to? Our own thoughts? Well, but here he's characterized as the Messiah towards them in whom the divine mercy is present. It's right there. And he was right there for the Jews. And what did they do? They said in John 18, 40, not this man. That's what we'll say when we function in the flesh. We'll say, no, not this man. I have a right to my own thoughts and to my own emotions. And really, the flesh is what? In Romans 8, 7, it's strong, settled feelings of hatred towards God that are completely unchangeable. Two things that don't change in us. We have the flesh in us that we're not of, and that never changes. But we have Christ in us, and he never does. Would you pick one? (laughs) Oh, boy. And again, here it is in, in, in a rather beautiful way. It's brought out where His mercy is right there present. His mercy, his, comp- his tender compassion. He's waiting to be gracious towards us. We're living in, in anger, unbelief, bad thoughts, bad emotions. And here is Christ in us, and, and he's, he's in us. He's above us, interceding for us, trying, bringing and doing what He can to lead our will to receive that compassion. That's God. That's who He is. And so we see this incredibly. We see. And thank God, we can see all his saving, his delivering acts constantly. We see it all through those synoptics and even in the book of John. So again, what is brought out here when we talk about Jesus having compassion is that his mercy was present. It's not just a description of his emotions. It's not any more than even if we have good emotions, okay, good emotions, and, and we don't want to have bad ones, obviously, but we can, but they're not descriptive. They're not descriptive of a certain thing. They're just, they're bringing, bringing out the thought that his mercy's there all the time. His compassion is there all the time. Now, look at this verse with me. And this is in 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. And this is what it says in 11 and 12. Remember, this is Paul. He's penning it, but it's God the Holy Spirit. It's the thought of God the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says. O you Corinthians. And what were they doing? Boy, you read the first book of Corinthians and how they were operating. They were operating with the gifts. And, and you know, the Church of Corinth was one of the most gifted churches, you know. They didn't lack a gift but they were functioning with those gifts in the flesh and this is what was being written to them "O you corinthians our mouth is open unto you our heart is enlarged you are not straightened in us this is not a very good translation but you are straightened in your own bowels. What is it saying in the Greek? Listen, I'm going to tell you what it says in the Greek. This is what it's saying, right? You are deeply closed in your capacity to love me. Boy, how do we function like that? You are deeply closed in your capacity to love me. Can you hear the heart of Jesus? He's knocking on the door in Revelations 3.20. Many times that's brought out as a soul-winning verse, which, of course, it's not. They're born again. They're the church. He's knocking, knocking on the will, saying, let my love come in. You are deeply closed. The door's closed. Your will is closed to love me. While my heart, everything about me, is wide open to you. Oh, boy, I've had some, some really, really, really bad days, bad thoughts, bad emotions. And I go into the Word, I go into the, to that room, and boy, he opens wide his heart towards me. But is mine available? Are we available? Will we submit? Well, what does it speak of here? Well, again, in 2 Corinthians 7.15, let me read 2 Corinthians 7.15, and his inward affection is more abundant toward you. That's a compassion. Those awesome emotions, the depth of those emotions reaching out because it's his whole thought, and his whole thought is love for you, and his whole thought is love for me. Well, and this... And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, while he remembers the obedience of you all. How? With, with a reverence and a trembling, you received him. You just constantly received him. And what does it say? He has a deep love for you. That's what it's bringing out. He has a deep love for you, just waiting for you to experience. Will you submit? Will you open the door? How quickly should we do that? How quickly do we throw off the yoke of restraint? And we become, we faint instantly. We're on, we're in the process of fainting already. You take the yoke off, you're in the process of fainting and getting starting to be scattered. And the enemy has it waiting for you and I. In our experience, you can't touch the position. You know, it's not, it's not that when I'm, when I'm, not humble, it's not that I'm going to be deceived, I already am. I already am in a place to be deceived, literally, because I throw off the yoke, I throw off obedience, I just throw off any restraint, and I just live the way I want. Think of how we used to live before we had the shepherd, before he had that yoke of restraint on us, how did we used to live, and then what was the result? Of that living. Because those thoughts were bad. Then we lived the way we wanted to. Apart from him. And then what were the emotions? And yet here we have. The yoke of all this truth. About who Christ is. And in a moment we can throw it off. And right back to all those bad thoughts. All those bad emotions. all, All functioning. And guilt and condemnation in the flesh. And is that him and is that what he is towards us waiting to be gracious it's not not at all so when it speaks of compassion in these emotions it's the whole person in the depths of its emotional life if you have a good emotional life what do you have what is it the result of it's the it's the good the good that's only in god the good that's only in this relationship between the father and son then that he has made ours by christ coming out and putting on humanity and can identify with every single thing about us there's not one provision that he lacks that he's that he's made ours that when that we can experience when we submit to him not a single thing but boy when we we throw off that yoke Boy, well, now we're left up to all those passions and those lust patterns of the flesh. And then we begin to determine good and evil in Genesis 3, 1 to 6, and Isaiah 5, verse 20. We begin, in our own thoughts, to call evil good. Good evil. Put light for darkness, darkness for light. Then we put bitter for sweet. And we think that certain things are sweet and bitter. You know, the flesh thinks obedience is very bitter. It's not so sweet. Yeah. Taste that for a while instead of tasting him and seeing the goodness that only comes from him in Psalm 34, verse 8. So again, it's this the depths of the emotional life which it has experienced. So if I have good emotions, what am I experiencing? Okay, God's one thought. That's why it's called the word. (laughs) And out of that flows what? How many words? Everything about the person and the accomplishment of his work is so incredible. And so what do we experience? This refreshing through consolation and love. Do we need to be refreshed? I don't know about you, but I sure did when I woke up this morning. Definitely needed to be refreshed, refocused. And to have and experience that loving consolation, that loving encouragement. And, uh, and just with my will to put that yoke back on and be so close to him. You know, Job 41, verse 16, in the type that it's describing, it says, One is so near to another that no air can pass between them. No air. No prince and power of the air, no thoughts, no bad thoughts, no bad emotions. One is so near to another that no air can pass between them. And that's what we've brought out in many times a kiss. You see it in 1 Peter 5 14, Romans 16 uh, 16, scores of other places. Greet one another with a holy kiss. A kiss, a kiss, when a husband uh, kisses his wife, what does it create? It creates a vacuum and no air can pass between them. They're one. They're one. They only have one thought. One, but just one. And that goes into something we'll bring out uh, uh, fairly soon here. But we see that, we see and experience that loving consolation. And what a healing effect that has. You know, it says in Psalm 107, verse 20, He sent His Word. He's doing that right now to us, isn't He? He is. He's sending His Word. For what purpose? To condemn us? To cover us with shame and guilt? No, to heal us. To heal us. That's what he's doing. Refreshing us, healing us. And to deliver us from all those self-destructive patterns, those self-destructive thoughts and bad thoughts and bad emotions. They don't define who we are. And again, remember, even our good emotions, we're not to rely on those because those can change in a heartbeat. But thank God for them. So again, the distinctive marks of the life of the Christian in a local assembly is this. They have a mutual love for each other because they're, they're individually experiencing that love. And then you, have a, then you become a joint that supplies. Then the gift that... And did you know that every one of us has at least one gift? And when that gift has the yoke of restraint and it's near Christ, all this love is flowing and then that love flows out through that gift and we become a supply. Right? That's Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my what? Shepherd, I will not lack. I won't lack. Not a single thing. When I have his thoughts do I lack a single thing? When I'm in his presence, truly, and can sin, can I live in sin and be in his presence? I can't. He can't even look on it in at 113. But in his presence, and that's why he wants, you know, we need to put our foot in Jesus' hand for him to cleanse us so that we can function in God's presence and experience joy. And what's joy? Joy, what is joy? It's love overflowing in the emotions. And remember, joy can be up and down in us. But one thing we have in, in, in the fruit, uh, in that ninefold fruit in, in Galatians five twenty two and 23, we have love. And when we function in his presence, we have joy. But even when we don't experience joy, do we still have settled peace with God through Christ? Yeah. How else could he be waiting to be gracious if he, he wasn't our settled peace? Thank God he intercedes for us. And he intercedes for us knowing knowing where thoughts, where our thoughts could lead to even before we get there. Remember, the prodigal's thoughts, before he crossed the threshold, was crossing it. And his thoughts entered into action. And we we need to remember those things uh, to have a proper experience in Christ. So love is that mutual experience and gift that's supposed to be among each other. What if I don't experience it? What if my thoughts aren't his one thought, the son of his love, that we've been positioned in? And that brings it out in Colossians 1, verse 12 and 13. He's transliterated us from the kingdom of darkness and positioned us and placed us in the son of his love. What does he have for me today? What does he have for you and I? Nothing but love. Love from his heart and a depth, a depth of his tender, compassionate mercy towards us. And you know what this love does? This kind of love does? Thank God for it too, and we need it. It's where we need to constantly be to be refreshed. You know what it does? It constrains us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. It constrains us. It keeps us in the grip of a love and affection and a loving consolation for us continually. In a grip. Nothing can touch the grip of our position. It's unchangeable. It is. And it profoundly moves you and I, the whole man, spirit, soul, and body, to a proper experience of the reality of we are truly in Christ. And if we are, what are we? God for us, Romans 8, 31, who can be against us? Even if I live in the flesh, and I may be against myself, and you, you and I have done that, haven't we? I hate what I, I, hate it, right? We get in that Romans 7, 13, 14, 15, I hate what I do, things that I don't want to do, I do, and so forth, we get in that. We get in those places, but what are his thoughts towards us? Are they unchangeable? In any way, can God change the person and the work of Christ that he did accomplish to the Father and for us? Is there any change? God would have to change his mind about the fact that his son propitiated him. He certainly isn't gonna change it about us. His love is what? It's, It's immovable. It is immovable. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. And so, but what we see here is this. Instead of this, instead of experiencing the initiation of love, and there, the thought, right? Because that's the thought, right? Because where is love? Is love an emotion? No. It's in the will. And when my will submitted, and when he initiates love to me, When he does, what do I experience? Listen, a true emotional response. Because he must initiate. We're not left to our own thoughts, because if we do, it's the flesh. When I'm left to my own thoughts, what is my emotional response? But when it's his love, it's his loving, unchangeable thought, what do I have? I have a true emotional response. He's the initiator. We're the receivers. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. We're married to him. Don't don't cheat on him. And don't cheat on yourself by going out with another's thoughts. Because he loves us and he's a jealous God. Just a jealous God. So what does this speak of? I'm going to show you this. This is what this speaks of. The initiation of his thoughts to have a, a, a true experiential what emotional response and even when it's not right do we still have settled peace with him and what is he bringing us back to so watch what it says here this is how a local assembly should operate and remember a local assembly it could it can be made up of just two or three that are gathered together in his name and his name speaks of his person And the accomplishment of his work. In Matthew 18 verse 20. Here is Ephesians the 4th chapter. Look at verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Is it a good thing to be a prisoner of the Lord? Be captured by him? Instead of a prisoner of my own thoughts. A slave to those lust patterns. A slave to those bad emotions. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about a yoke. He's restrained. I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation where you're called. Walk worthy in your experience about who you are in Christ in your position. With all what? Lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another. Where? In love. How do I forbear people when they come against me, when they reject me, when their thoughts aren't right? What do I do? What's the only thing that wins us constantly in our experience? Isn't it his love? That's why it's waiting to be gracious, because this love can only flow through grace, something we don't deserve, can't earn, but something that flows freely, freely. You know, the love that father and son had in in John 1, 1 and 2, there wasn't a thing that could disturb it or distract it. That's why it says in 1 John 4, 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, because God is love, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Father had to be propitiated, and we had to be in propitiation through through having a substitute to be reconciled. He had to do that so that we could experience the love that God has for us in the Son of His love. Boy, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of what? Peace. Is Christ our peace? Ephesians 2:14. Look at there is one body, one spirit, as you were called, and one hope of your calling. Look at one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who was above all and through all, and in you all. Notice that? There's one. Remember Jesus' priestly prayer? Remember, this is the Lord's Prayer. In John 17, look what it says. You can read that prayer. That prayer is incredible. It brings out a depth of a communication that's not brought out anywhere else in the whole Word of God. There's an intensity of an intimacy that's brought out like in nowhere else in the Scriptures, 26 verses. But in verse 11, it says, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your own name, your nature, those whom you have given me, that they may be what? One. Not confused, one thought. Not mixing my thoughts with Christ. And boy, we do that more than we would ever realize. Thank God we have an intercessor to help us with that. And we have two comforters, one in heaven interceding for us and the spirit that dwells in us always comforting and taking our groanings, which we can't even articulate, and bringing them uh, before God through Christ in Romans 8 verse 26. But here it says this, that they may be one as we are one. Look at verse 21, that they all may be one as you are, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be what? One in us. Are we in Christ? That they may also be one in us and, and that the world, the unsaved believers, those that don't know God, may believe that you sent me by the witness of me in them. What is that, what is that conduct? Whew, boy, that's convicting. <laughs> what is our behavior? Verse 22, and it says, and, and, and verse 22, and the glory, right? The glory which you have given me, I have given unto them. That they may be what? One. Even as what? We are one. Verse 23 I and them, and you and me, that they may be made complete in what? One. One complete thought. God has one complete thought towards us. It's the Word, it's His Son. And that the world may know that you sent me. By their testimony, their witness, with me and them, and them and me, and has sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Look at verse twenty-four. Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Is that just when we go to heaven, or should it be now? Can it be? I mean, we're positioned in Him now, aren't we? First John four seventeen. We're to have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? There's no wrath for us. Because as he is, Christ, so are we in this present evil world. It's just incredible opposition. Is it it the equal of our experience? Father, I will that they also whom you've given me be with me where I am. He's unchangeable. That they may, may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Listen, that we can experience this. We can experience this through the initiation of the Word of God, which is always love towards us. Always telling us, you're not your bad thoughts. You're not your bad emotions. They may interrupt fellowship. They don't change my, my loving thoughts of you in my position. They're just not reaching your experience yet. And that's why even he lovingly chastises us back to a proper place to continue to receive. And so we have the oneness of fellowship and the fellowship of oneness. And each individual has that one life. And then you're functioning like that and I am. Then we come together. What do we experience? Fellowship. And fellowship means one, being one with God. Not two thoughts. Nope. Not being confused. Nope. And that brings out Isaiah 33, verse 6. But God's one thought, and out of God's one thought are many thoughts. And listen to this. And God told me to write these things down this morning as he's giving me this. I didn't have it myself. He had to give it to me. But I had to be in a place of a submitted will to receive it. And even even the goodness of God was leading me to submit my will in Romans 2, 4. The goodness of God leads you to change your mind. That has to do with a given will. God's one thought. God's thoughts are not random. Listen to this. God's thoughts are not random. They speak of a precise order. They're a precise word. Remember Revelation and Rama, And they are precise steps. They lead to precise steps because God only has one precise plan for you and I. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, their thoughts of peace and not evil. So that you can, ex- you can experience now, And it, right now, my eternal subtle plans for you right now. That's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. So, random. God's thoughts are not random. I looked up the word random. Listen to what the word random is. And then God began to correlate scriptures to this. Random. Listen to what random means in the English language. It means proceeding. Proceeding. What are my thoughts? Where are they proceeding from? Proceeding. Made. What do our thoughts make me when they're of myself? What are his thoughts? What do they make me? Made. Or listen. Random. Occurring without definite aim. No proper identity, no proper image, right? Or pattern. We're going to have to get into these things. Oh gosh, I think Sunday if God would have it because we're running out of time. But these things are so incredible. Without pattern, without pattern. And then with, with, without a pattern, But what does God desire? And I have to close it with this. What does God desire for us? We'll see it. But I want to bring these things out even in a more precise, definite way, the way that God has given them to all of us. Because listen, if he gave it to one and it's one life that we have, isn't it all ours? And it most certainly is. And it makes us all equal. We're all equal in God's love. And that does away with any comparing, doesn't it? In 2 Corinthians 10, 12. And that love flows, and then we have constant wisdom, and if we lack it, we just ask, in James 1, 5, who lovingly gives us that wisdom by shedding on us, by pouring on us abundant love in in Romans 5, verse 5. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, the prayer that the Holy Spirit gave Paul to write for himself to us was, I pray, God, your host, spirit, soul, and body be preserved, what? Blameless. Faithful is he who calls you. He's always calling us. He's calling us to stop living in blame. Stop blaming others. Stop blaming anything. Because ultimately, if we believe that we're positioned in God, we're ultimately blaming him <laughs> instead of receiving his love. Because to, to, to function in blame, it means shame because there's some kind of a fault. And has he dealt with all of that in us? He has. So Father, thank you for your incredible love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.